listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Let's jump in today. Um, good morning, uh, Michael and Amy. Today, I want to deal with something that, um, as you saw in the in the title, we're talking about marriage poison. Marriage poison. Now, for all of you that just logged on to figure out how to poison your spouse, that's not what this is going to be about today. <laughs> Those of you that are looking for insurance money, that is not what this broadcast is about. Um, I'm going to talk to you about um, how to avoid uh, a destructive, broken marriage. And, and the sad thing to me is that in the body of Christ, we're seeing, uh, and I don't know the exact statistic right off the top of my head, but we're seeing like the same uh, percentage of marriages. It's like a skunk ran in and put skunk hair in my mouth. Um, that's like a weird, that's like a weird thing. It's just like, I don't know where. Um, I said that because it was black and white. I don't know why. So that's like, why is it a skunk? It was like black and white. I don't know what that's about. Um, <laughs> they're like, why skunk hair? Um, <laughs> Jessica said he's worth more to me alive than dead. But, but in all seriousness, it, it, it's not that. It's that we see in the body of Christ even far too many marriages failing. Far too many marriages failing. Far too many marriages with problems. Uh, far far too many uh, people suffering uh, and just really, you know, one of the saddest things to see is people just stay together because they know they're Christians and they should, and they, they've lost love for each other. They don't have uh, any kind of love life. They don't have, no, there's no intimacy. They're just there really, maybe because there's kids, maybe because they feel guilty about divorce, but it's not because they love each other. It's not because they want to be together. And so um, I want to deal with these nine things uh, that we could work on, and that from the scripture you'll see it as well, that are uh, poison to the marriage and how to get around it, how to avoid it, and make sure that you're building a strong, godly, and uh, biblical marriage that will cause you to flourish. And that's God's desire, obviously. Uh, he's put you together, and the Bible says what God has joined together let no man separate or the old school put asunder. So we're going to deal with these from scripture. We're going to talk about it. Um, and, uh, and you'll see what I'm talking about. So take notes, if you will, put it in the, in the comments. Jenna's like skunk hair. What in the world? Yes. I'm sorry. It's just what the first thing that came to my mind when I saw black and white hair. And I don't even know where that came from. All right. Let's put these in. Number one, um, the first thing I see often, Carolyn and I have dealt with this with people a lot, um, and that is people don't establish a private home, but you've got to establish a private home. Number one, establish a private home. Uh, Eric's asking, is there another night in Ithaca tonight? Uh, no, there's not. Last night was the final night of the of the revival. So please, if you're showing up tonight, it might be for your own personal prayer service, but I'm not going to be there. Um, uh, number one, establish a private home. Establish a private home. 
Um, I see this often, and Carolyn and I have talked to people that, man, they're they. It's like people are seeking counseling for this. It's like you've got a marriage where you have uh, the in-laws that are constantly um, getting in your business, getting in your business, <laughs> and they're and they're coming in and and literally they've got more say. You know that's that's a frustrating thing when like your husband listens more to his mom than he does does to his wife or you've got a wife that listens more to her mom or dad than she does to her husband and all your business is out there and everybody knows what's going on in your family and it really what it does is it destroys trust and it destroys peace in your home if you don't establish a private home and this is something that's that's very common and it's sad that it's common but it is and it's like people can't seem to break away from that, uh, you know, that mother father tie that they grew up with their whole life. They feel like they got to share everything with their mom, got to share everything with their dad. And it's like, and, and and you really see what happens. As I said, is is it destroys trust. It destroys trust, and uh, it, it's truly it's something that's so damaging to a marriage. And then people start to not. Uh, share things with one another because I don't want that being told to my, I don't want, you know, whatever. And then they start, there's problems. Love you, Landon. And so you got to establish a private home. Bible says in Genesis 2.24, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh, one flesh. So notice that, leave the father and mother and be joined, one, one, one translation said, cleave to his wife. That's Genesis 2.24. So God's plan for the husband and wife is that once they leave those family members and come into covenant with one another, then you've got to make sure that you are keeping that house securely established together. Aaron says, but communication and introspection are the most important, right? Uh, We'll get to that. But first, establish a private home. Because there is no husband that's going to freely communicate with a a wife that just continually tells the business of their family to other people all the time. There's no wife that's going to freely communicate with her husband when her husband's out blabbing the business to everybody all the time. And so uh, you have to establish that a private home before there can be anything else that even functions because who's who who wants to be embarrassed or humiliated you know if i want to know if i want to go to carolyn and talk about something and we're dealing with something private that's just um her and i uh-oh i can feel a sneeze coming on but i don't know when it's coming it's like a spirit of sneezing here from yesterday i know somebody brought it in the in the studio um if, if a husband and a wife want to deal with something that is private, that's intimate, it's it's for them only, uh, what kind of trust do you think there's going to be uh, when they go out and start talking about it? It breaks that down. That's hurtful. It's humiliating. It's embarrassing. And then what happens? People start to put up walls. Well, I guess I just won't tell her everything. I guess I just won't tell him everything. Right? And that's what ends up happening to people. Good morning, Katerina. Thank you for saying hi. From Syracuse. <clears throat> so you got to establish the private home. 
And, and we've seen this far too many times. <clears throat> and it's like the husband is like ticked off or the wife is ticked off. And, and uh, it, it's damaging. It's extremely damaging. Remember that whole concept of becoming one flesh, becoming one flesh, that the two become one. You know, if you remember the, um, uh, some people at their wedding, they'll do the, the, uh, the lighting of the unity candle. That's what that's all about. You take two separate flames and you come up and light one candle, blow the other two out, and now the two flames have become one flame. It's two becoming one. And so there should be a unity there. Yeah, that's exactly, Denise brings up a great point. She said, when you do that, it also opens doors for other people to remind you of those issues even after the couple has resolved the issues. So you can forgive your spouse, but others may not. That's an excellent point, is that you've got people that know your business, and then all of a sudden, well, if I were you, I wouldn't trust him. Well, you don't remember this? And it's like, yeah, but we, we worked through that. Don't do that. Keep the home private. Keep the home private. And it's something that you know has to be uh, dealt with ahead of time, right? You'll never be able to um, successfully make this happen if you don't mark the boundaries ahead of time. You've got to mark the boundaries. Um, one of the best books that any um, couple could ever read together uh, on, on this topic is Dr. Henry Cloud's book, Boundaries. It's an ex- excellent book. Teaches you, not just couples, but it teaches you how, as an individual, to create boundaries in your own life. You know, if you if you don't want to be in a certain position, you just set a boundary. Here, I don't let people talk to me this way. You know, there's people that deal with that because they have self uh, they have they have insecurity issues, self esteem issues. So they'll let people talk to them any old way. You set a boundary. I don't care who they are: a boss, a coworker, a family member. I don't let people. Here's the line: I'm drawing it. I don't let people talk to me this way. I don't. If they do, I'll, I'll end up cutting them off. They'll get warnings, but they'll be cut off from my life. I don't let people talk to me in that way. So there's boundaries that you set as a husband and wife too. So you say, you know what? You, and you have to agree upon them. They have to be agreed upon where you'll say, listen, now that we're married or once we get married, it's probably better to do it before you get married. Once we get married, we're not going to be telling everything to our mom and dad. We're not going to be revealing every single thing. You know, because, you know, and, and I, listen, I say this, I have a wonderful father-in-law and mother-in-law. I've got a wonderful mother and father. But not everybody is walking in that kind of spiritual maturity. You know, you might have a, a, a father-in-law, mother-in-law that aren't even saved. They may not even be saved. They're not serving the Lord. They're not filled with the Holy Ghost. And so they don't, they don't operate by scriptural principles. You know, what if you have a mother-in-law and father-in-law or a mother, you know, whatever it might be, that she's like not not willing to put up with anything. You know, if I see my baby girl getting hurt, I'm going to tell you what, you need to leave him. You need to leave him right now. You know, it's not even, it's like something, just like a normal fight or something, and talking into your wife's ear. You need to leave him. You need to get out of there. You know, he's not right for you. I, I didn't think you should have married him in the first place. Same thing, mothers and their sons. She's not going to talk like that, act like that with my baby boy. You better get out of there. There's a better woman out there. You need to leave her. You need to get out, get out, for the, get out of that marriage. What do you do when it's that kind of thing? See, because when, when we have these discussions, everybody always just assumes 
that everyone in the discussion is like a mature, Holy Ghost-filled Christian that's following after the principles of Scripture. That's not the case, as many of you know. As many, as many of you know. <laughs> Cameron said, my wife accidentally blew out the unity candle at the wedding. We quickly re- relit it, saved our marriage. Praise God. And uh, yes, it is, Lena. She said, that was the first book I read after accepting Christ, and it's helped me with friendship, family relationships. It's such a good book, and it is. You've got to set those boundaries and stick to it. And the husband and wife need to agree upon it that we're keeping this home established as a private home. The issues that we have, we have them together. The things we're dealing with, we'll deal with them together. But it's not for other people uh, to deal with. And so you you have to make that make that distinction. Too many marriages fail because the the house is not established as a private home, a private relationship. Number two, one of the things that happens in marriages that has has to be dealt with is uh, if you want to have a marriage that flourishes, don't stop dating. Don't stop dating. So continue dating for the rest of your marriage. Continue dating for the rest of your marriage. All of those things that you had, you felt like had to be in place to win that person over into a relationship, you should go just as hard and continue on as you're married. Continue on. Continue on. Um, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, the Bible says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another, in honor, giving preference to one another. Don't stop dating. Don't stop flirting. Don't stop doing what you did before there was careers and marriage and there were kids and there was responsibilities and there was bills. And Don't stop doing what you did before. Continue on with it. Continue to build that love. Continue to build that affection. Continue, continue to, to build that intimacy together. Don't stop dating your spouse. Exactly right. And one of the things that will help us, you know, I think one of the reasons people don't do this is that they have the wrong priority set up in marriage. And um, when you look at your at your marriage, and Carolyn and I have talked about this multiple times, uh, and that is this. You have to have life priorities in the right order if you're going to be successful. And that means you've got to have God as your number one priority personally, right? If you're a Christian, then my relationship with the Lord personally is more important than any other thing in my life. Any other thing. If that's not first, everything else is going to crumble. If that's not first, everything else will crumble. But after your relationship with the Lord, most people, especially if they're in ministry, think, well, the next most important thing is my ministry to the world, what the Lord's calling me to do. No, it's not. No, it's not. And then here's the the mistake that most people that are Christians and non-Christians put up destroys their marriage. The next most important thing after my relationship with God is my kids. No, it's not. No, it's not. The next most important thing after your relationship with the Lord is your relationship with your spouse. That is the next most important thing. Then 
it is your relationship with your children. And then it is your career or ministry. Career and ministry are last. But kids also do not come before your spouse. And I've watched as people have put their children above their spouse and destroyed their marriage. Husband begins to resent it. Wife begins to resent it. And it starts to destroy the relationship. Your kids don't come before your spouse. No. Your spouse comes first. Spouse always comes first. It's like, because one of the things that you'll uh, see happen is what do you do when you've put your kids first all those years and then 18 18 years later of marriage, uh, you were so close with your kids, but they get married, they move out, they go to college, and then you and your husband uh, who have been left alone for 18 years with other people put before you are now stuck in a house together and you don't even know each other like you used to. You don't even have a relationship like you used to. You don't, there, all those things that, you, you know, used to be there 18 years later have faded away because you put your kids above your spouse. And if you don't think that happens, it does. And then people end up being roommates rather than in love, you know, husband and wife because of the fact they've put everything else before their own personal relationship. Amen. And my kids are still young. My kids are still young. They're 12, 8, and 5. And I'm going to tell you, though, even though my kids are still young, it doesn't matter. There's still times where Carolyn will go off, Carolyn and I will go off and do things by ourselves. Even though our kids are still young, still being raised, we'll still go off and do things by ourselves. Why? You have to cultivate that relationship throughout your whole life. Throughout your whole life. And so that's, that's the number two thing. Continue dating. Don't let that poison creep in where you fall apart, right? Because you stopped dating one another. <laughs> Stephen said, what advice would you give in a Brady Bunch scenario? Hold on. It keeps coming then going away. It's like tricking me. What is going on? In a Brady Bunch scenario, lock them all outside, Stephen. Lock them outside to play and have have some time together. Um, Yeah, that's right, Carrie. That can happen where, you know, you're so into your children for all those years and then they go off and get married and you're still so involved with your kids. Now you're involved in their marriage and then you're breaking number one <laughs> and number one and number two will go together. Keep those date nights going. Set time aside. Make things happen. And I'll tell you, um, one of the things that will help in this in this way as well, I've talked about it on the broadcast before, uh, and that is this. Find out, you know, you know, as you're putting your spouse first, find out what their love language is. You know, people think, well, that's just that's that's natural stuff. No, God created us to be this way. God's the creator. And if you actually read uh, the five love, love languages, you know one of the things you're going to find? It's also the five ways we interact with God. People don't know that. But it's also five ways that we show our love for God. The giving of gifts. We do that for God. He does that for us. Quality time. We do that with God. He does that with us. Acts of service. We do that with God. He does with us. Words of affirmation. That's what our praise is. We're praising him. We're worshiping him. Uh, you see, all these things, you go read the book, you'll see um, that 
the same things that God created us to receive love in that way, he receives love in that way from us. It's a God, it's a God driven thing. Jess said, what if you're divorced and you remarry? Do you put that new spouse first? If you want to keep him, you do. If you want that marriage to flourish, you do. I don't know why you would treat him any differently than you would. I mean, once you make a marriage covenant, you're in that marriage. So I don't know why you would treat him any differently than you would before. And I, I'm sure you're probably asking, do I, do I put him, that new spouse above my kids too? Absolutely. If you have a marriage relationship, then you put that marriage relationship first. Discover your wife or husband's love language because what you may find, and this, this goes to the, the dating and continue to be affectionate, continue to be intimate. What you may find is that the way that you experience love is not the way they experience love. May not be, right? So you might, you might be somebody that really feels loved by the giving of gifts, like every time you have gifts purchased for you, man, you feel the love from that. You might be a quality time person. Man, I love when my spouse spends quality time. We, we might not even be doing anything but sitting on the couch watching, you know, through a show together and we just get to be together and, and talk and sit and watch. But maybe your spouse is not the same. Maybe your spouse really needs words of affirmation and that's the way they feel loved. And you make the mistake of thinking that, they receive love the same way you do. So you're trying to do all of the things that make you feel affirmed and loved, but that's not how they feel love. It's not, they, they feel love with words of affirmation, acts of service, right? So you better discover that because if you, that's how you work towards preference. That's how you work towards preference. You prefer the other above yourself. Well, if I'm preferring the other above myself, I better know what their preference is. I better know what they love and what makes them feel fulfilled and loved and taken care of, right? And then you do those things. And it's very helpful to do that uh, as a husband and wife. Number three, here's something else that, that you got to watch. Got to watch. Don't go to bed angry with one another. Don't go to bed angry with one another. That, that's actually a scripture, <laughs> Ephesians 4.26, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Listen to this in context. Therefore, this is verse 25. Now I'm reading Ephesians 4.25 and I'll, I'll read from 25 down. Listen, therefore, having put away falsehood, Let's let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. Think about that. We are members one of another. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Hmm. So let me... <clears throat> Talk about this for a second as you're, as you're seeing this. Now, this is for anybody that's, that's now a Christian. Uh, and that's not just for your wife. Don't, don't allow anger to fester inside you day after day after day. Resolve those things. Oh, it's true, Heather. She said that one's easier said than done, but it's so important. You better believe it. You better believe it. You got to resolve those things. Because what ends up happening 
is that you let that anger and bitterness fester and fester and it builds and builds and builds and builds until you're ready to go to war and they're ready to go to war. Or it might happen where they think everything's fine, but you've let something build for six months and all of a sudden you're ready to blow up on somebody and then you blow up on somebody and they don't even know why. (laughs) Mike Frost said, that's right. Because I like sleeping with both eyes closed rather than one open looking to get stabbed. You better you watch that, Floriana. She's coming for you. And so, listen, big deal here. Don't go to bed angry with one another. Hey, Danae, don't go to, don't go to bed angry. Resolve those things. You know, be tender. Be sweet. And I know that's not easy. That, that's not easy, especially when people are mad, frustrated, upset. You know, it's not, it's not like a, it's not like the notebook where everybody's just like kissing all the time. It's life is different than that. So you gotta, you have to put your flesh under and you've got to not go to bed angry. You got to make up your mind. I'm not going to do that. We're going to work it out before we go to sleep because I'm going to sleep in peace and I'm going to wake up. Uh, Kelsey said, is it possible or scriptural? To make sure that you don't go to bed angry, but at the same time, mutually decide to continue the resolution the following day. I think that it's possible to do that in that, um, you know, you can you can put your anger out and say like, well, this we need to discuss this further. I'm not angry at you. Uh, I'm, I'm you know, you, you I'm not happy with where the situation's at currently, but I'm not angry with you but we need to talk about this more tomorrow. I I don't see why you can't do that if you both agree, but don't allow yourself to let things fester inside. That's where the problems start is because bitterness grows and unforgiveness and uh, you're, you're not walking in love and then your faith stops working and all those things. So you have to, you have to make sure that you are um, putting the other above yourself and not allowing anger to enter into your marriage and uh, and hostility. You don't want that. You don't want that. It's a great question, Kelsey. Number four, keep Christ and his word in the center of your home. This is something people fail to do. And it's sad that Christians fail to do this. I'm not talking about sinners. I'm talking about Christians. But it's sad that Christians fail to do it. Keep Christ and his word at the center of your home. The Bible says in Psalm 127 and verse one, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. So what am I trying to do? Build a marriage, build a family on principles that contradict the word of God. I don't want to do that. I don't want to try to build my marriage, build my relationship on uh, principles that contradict God's word. And so what are we going to do? We're going to keep God's word and Christ himself at the center of our home. I guarantee you that when you put Christ's principles, biblical principles, at the center of your family, your marriage, your home, you'll flourish. You'll flourish. You make up your mind as a couple together. We're going to do what the Bible says no matter what. We are going to tithe. We are going to be faithful to church. We are going to read the word. We are going to pray. We're going, we're not going to allow. And part of it is what we just talked about. 
uh, several of the things we just dealt with. We're not going to allow uh, anger and bitterness to rule in this house. We're not going to allow drama and problems to rule in this house. We're not doing that. We're not going to allow others to invade our relationship. We're not doing that. We're going to keep Christ and his word at the center of our home, and we're going to make sure that we honor God first because if you'll honor God, he'll honor you. If you put him first, he'll put you first, right? And it, and that's exactly right, AJ. The marriage becomes unshakable. That's because your marriage is built on a rock versus re- on the sand. Always shifting foundation, shifting foundation. It feels unsure. No, build it on the rock of Christ and the rock of his word, and it doesn't shift. It doesn't shift. It's a, a firm, solid foundation. Does not shift. And so don't don't wait for your you know your pastor to do something. Don't wait for it. No, start it at home. Make sure it's done at home. Keeping it at the center of your life. Number five, this is this is a hard one for people because maybe they've come out of this kind of um, broken home or maybe the, the spirit of this world or the culture of this world has gotten a hold of them, gotten a hold of their thought process, their mind. But number five is that you've got to agree with your spouse, agree with your spouse that divorce is never the answer. Just, just agree. But see, it takes both to agree with that. That everything, we can work things out. Now we're keeping Christ at the center of our home. We're obeying those principles. And so we need to agree together. Agree together that divorce is never the answer. Well, I realize, right? I realize that uh, there are Christians who have been divorced and all of that. I understand that there are times where even the scripture uh, condones uh, separating in a marriage. There are things that the Bible teaches that uh, give you the right as a husband or wife to separate in that marriage. Um, obviously, I'm not telling you as a wife that if your husband is beating the crap out of you every week that you should say, you know what, let's agree that divorce is never an option. I'm not saying to stay in that dangerous situation in that dangerous household where you're being beaten. I tell you to go and seek uh, uh, shelter, protection, get out of there. And, and if you have kids, get them out of there. But Denise said the same. We began our marriage agreeing that divorce was never an option. And um, I'll tell you one of the most wonderful things that I've seen recently uh, that that is uh, really gives you a lot of hope and a lot of faith is seeing a marriage where you know that there has been infidelity in the marriage, but both husband and wife were willing to work with their pastors and to work with other spiritual leaders. And rather than just throwing in the towel and, uh, and leaving one another, breaking up a home, breaking up the kids, all of that, the husband and wife were both willing in humility to submit to the pastor, to submit to spiritual leadership and to be restored and to be forgiven and work things out, counsel, talk, you know, deal with uh, leaders that are giving you uh, proper spiritual guidance to bring healing to the relationship and to see that marriage still uh, intact today is a testimony of what God can do in a marriage even when there is an offense that could bring divorce and even scripturally 
uh, would okay divorce to see them still together and to st- still married and the kids still, that is a testimony to the strength of what the anointing can do, what forgiveness can do, what restoration can do. It's, it's a powerful thing. And obviously my hat is off to the spouse that was willing to put their flesh under and to forgive and to move forward towards restoration and believing for healing in the marriage. When you see things like that, you realize how powerful that forgiveness is and the spirit of God is that he can not only heal your physical body, he can not only uh, bring your spirit from death unto life, but he can heal your marriage. He can heal your relationship. And so, yes, though you have the option when there are things in a marriage that even warrant divorce, you still have the option as a, a Christian to say, you know what? I'm going to believe by faith that God will heal this. I'm going to believe by faith that God will restore us. I'm going to stay. You know, I'm going to stay. You know, there there's wives that are watching. There's husbands that are watching where the, I'm sure you thought during portions of your marriage, this is not going to end well. You know, this is not going to end well. Maybe you dealt with something like that, or maybe you had to deal with addiction, you know, in your marriage. And you thought this is not going to end well, but you stayed and you prayed and you believed God. And you said, I'm not leaving him. I'm not leaving her. I'm going to believe God. There's going to be a turnaround. God's going to do this thing. And God did it. God did it. And you agreed that that was not the answer for you. Well, listen, if you've got faith in God and both, both parties are willing to make that thing happen. Let me tell you, there's nothing God can't do. There's nothing God can't do. And so I give thanks to God today. I'm giving praise to God because there are marriages that have been restored because the couple made up their minds and said, you know what? We're going to agree that divorce is not the uh, option we're going for. It's not the answer. And we're going we're gonna to press in. We're going to press in. And we're going to see this marriage restored and healed. It's a wonderful thing. And I thank God for it. That's number five. Agree that divorce is never the answer. The Bible says in Matthew 19, 6, what God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has joined together, don't let man separate. Number six, (laughs) this is a funny one, but some of you will laugh, but I'm going to say it anyway. Remember that criticism and nagging destroy love criticism and nagging destroy love criticism and nagging destroy love nagging and criticism nagging and criticism nagging and criticism (laughs) colossians 319 the bible says husbands love your wives and do not be bitter toward them Do not be bitter toward them. Nagging and criticism. Nagging and criticism. Nagging and criticism. You see, Proverbs 21, 19. (laughs) Better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. (laughs) Both Both sides of the street, husbands and wives, nagging and criticism destroy love. They destroy love. Don't be that person. 
Don't be that person because that's who your mom was. Don't be that person because that's who your dad was. Be somebody different. (laughs) Be somebody that does not nag and criticize. Critical spirit. Critical spirit. Nothing's ever right. You know, it could be the nicest dinner on the table. Not enough salt for me. You always cook with no salt. I don't understand why there's no, your, your food's never salty enough. Where's the salt? Get the salt over here. It's like nothing's ever, just not happy with anything. Criticizing all the time. Criticizing, nagging all the time. Nagging all the time. I told you, I was asking you again. I don't know why, how many times I'm going to have to ask you. Nagging all the time. Criticizing all the time. Don't be bitter. Don't be contentious. Don't be angry. Amen. (laughs) Oh, there's so many things I could say. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. Just hear me when I say it. You know, one of the things, too, that's helpful is proper expectations. Proper expectations are good. Um, Carolyn and I had to realize in our own marriage that there's stuff that I'm really good at. And I mean, very good at, and then there's stuff that I'm not only not good at, I don't do it. (laughs) It's just like, I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. I know what I do. I know what I don't do well. And I'm willing, trust me when I tell you, especially when you get really, really busy and you start to realize like my time's valuable. I'm not going to do every single thing. And, um, you know, I, and, and we've dealt with this. My wife and I, we, we've discussed it even on broadcasts that, you know, one of the things that's hard, her father is such an amazing man who does so great. Uh, he can do anything. I mean, uh, my father-in-law, Larry, heck, he can do anything. I mean, he can, he can build anything. He can fix anything. He, I mean, he can, there, there's so... I can't even tell you he can do plumbing. He could do electric. He could do drywall. He could do, he could build anything. He could do anything. Um, very talented man works, can work with his hands. I mean that. And, um, you know, she's seen that her whole life. She's seen that her whole life. And, um, he, he, when I say that he can do anything, I'm not under, I'm not under overstating that I'm probably understating it. Um, I've got Alex, his grandson in the studio. I've got Tiffany. She's experienced it firsthand. They know how awesome Larry is, but that's not who I am. Like I am, I have no skills in that area. Like none, no skills. I am not a handyman. I'm not handy at all. I am not handy at all. I actually have it as like a, a, a like a bookmark on my phone, handy.com because handy.com will send a handyman. That's handy because I'm not handy. And I've paid handy.com to come do stuff if if Larry's not available. And uh, she and her dad, that's part of the way they spend quality time together is that they'll do they'll do projects together. And um, and, you know, we've just come to the conclusion, you know, that um, that's not that's not my strength. That's not what I do. That's that's just not who I am. But she understands that. So she's not going to be like, hey, Ted, could you get this drywall fixed up? He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what I want. <laughs> I can do demolition. <laughs> That's one thing I can always do if you want. I can do demolition. I can destroy stuff left and right. Give me a sledgehammer and I'll do dem. I'll be on the demolition crew. I can do that. But, you know, <laughs> I don't do I don't do that kind of work. 
I don't do that kind of work and I'm not skilled. Now I'm skilled in other areas, very skilled, but not there. I remember when my uncle was building the church in Virginia beach and, uh, they, I showed up, they were, they were building it out and the drywall was all up and everything. Now they're getting ready to start doing the painting. And they were like, uh, we're going to give, I had never done like painting like that before. And they're like, all right, we're going to give you one of these long uh, poles with the roller on the end. And we're going to get you to paint one of these tall walls here in the lobby of the church. I started painting. I didn't know. I didn't know like how much paint's supposed to go on the roller. I'm just like dunking it in the paint and like roll, roll the wall. There's like paint flying on the new carpet everywhere. Someone ran over and just took that away. Like, that's not your gift. That's not, that's the last time they ever asked me to paint anything. They were like, just play the piano and sing, just play and sing and preach. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. But you know, one of the things that, uh, would stop any nagging in our house or any criticism is that you just understand these things. There's certain parameters. You just have to understand. And, and I, and listen, (laughs) if y'all saw my schedule, and realized uh, the, all the things that I have to get completed within a day, within a week, within a month, um, you'd realize that like maybe it's not the, maybe it's not the worst idea to have somebody else doing some of these things because one of the things you realize in your own purpose is that you have specific things to accomplish, and the things you know once you've put God first, you put your wife first, you put your kids after that, your purpose, your career. If you're going to complete what God's called you to do then you've got to focus on that thing. And you've got to realize if you're going full out at it, then there are other things you can't do. I've taught on parameters before where it's once you have your vision, once you have your parameters set, it's not just what you should be doing. It's also all the things you should not be doing. And so you've got to guard your time. Well, Carolyn understands that. And you know, I like a few things I like about it. Number one, she gets to spend that quality time with her father who she loves so much. And it's something they enjoy doing together. But then also she recognizes that, you know, I'm not going to keep coming back to him and uh, I'm not going to try to nag or criticize or whatever. She just realized that realizes what I do, what I don't do. I realize what she does, what she doesn't do. You know, she used to, it used to bother her because, you know, like every preacher's wife, you know, either like sings or plays the piano or does whatever. And in the early years of our ministry, people used to come up to her and be like, now he now, now he preaches and sings and plays piano. Now, what do you do? You know, people used to say that to her all the time. She'd be like, uh, but I'm not going to sit around and be like, oh, Carolyn, you are, you are a minister's wife. You need to learn how to play an instrument and you need to learn how to sing a little bit, do some songs. You know, I need you to lead some songs uh, before... I'm not going to nag her about that. Like, well, that's what preacher's wives do. You need to learn how to minister in that way. And uh, it would really be able to, I'm not going to nag her about that. I know that's not her, what she wants to do. It's not her calling to do that. I'm not going to nag. I'll tell you something else. Even when I knew, get this in your spirit, because we're talking about the negative side, but what about the positive side? I knew in my spirit years ago that my wife had an anointing on her life to speak to minister to others and all these different things. I knew she did. I knew she had the ability. I knew she had the anointing. I knew she, I knew she had the calling. But she wasn't ready to step out at that point yet. So I could sit around and nag her about it. He's like you need to be up there. You need to be on, you need to take the mic. And she and, and back then like she had no desire to be in front of the people of the church or to take a microphone or to speak. She had zero desire 
to do any of that. I'd be like, no, I am leaving the building now. But I'm not going to sit around and nag her about that. I'm like, no, you need to be speaking to the people. You need to get up and give a word. You need to get up and testify. You need to get. I'm not going to do that. I knew she had the anointing to do it. I knew she had the calling to do it. But I'm not going to sit around and criticize her because it's, she's not at that place yet. And I'm not going to get around and nag her because she's not doing it yet. Right? So what did I do? I let the Lord deal with her because he's the one that called her. He's the one that anointed her. And see, things began to change. And then she began to do podcasts and, and, and became comfortable speaking to the ladies and launched nonstop mom and then started doing broadcasts and all these things. And then she was comfortable taking the mic and speaking to people. And, and then she was comfortable. And then people started inviting her to come and speak and to come and do conferences and to come and, and preach to the women. And, and, you know, I could sit around and could have, I could have nagged her and nagged her and said, I don't know what your problem is. You know, I could have done, but I'm going to let the Lord do it. She has to have the Lord speak to her. And you know what I mean? And now look, look at what God's using her to do. It's a wonderful thing. But I mean, it would have been so counterproductive for me to just sit around nagging her all the time uh, about it. Let God do it in his timing. Let the Lord work with somebody. So even when you know somebody's called to do something and has the ability and the efficiency and the power, don't nag about it. Nagging destroys love and it just so does criticism. And so you let the Lord do it with people. But let me tell you, watch that. Nobody wants to be around that all the time. Nobody wants to be around criticism and nagging. You guys know that. So you got to get it out, get it out of the relationship. Number seven. And again, you know, we're all working on these. I try to share stories that, that we've dealt with because I want you to understand we're all working on these things. We're all working on these things. Everyone has to put their flesh under and make these things a reality in their own life and marriage and relationships. Everybody does. There's no preacher, no pastor. There's not even any uh, marital counselor that has a perfect marriage. You have to work at it. You've got to put your flesh under. You've got to uh, crucify it. You've got to walk by the fruit of the spirit. You got to do it. You got to do it. Love you, Jerry. So look, number seven, this is one for everybody. And uh, probably because, you know, this one for me, well, I'll, I'll let me read it to you and then we'll talk about it. Number seven, speak softly and be kind. Speak softly and be kind. Now, this, this is something that like my cousin and I, my cousin Jonathan and I were discussing this with each other one time about how this is just like part of it is our nature. Part of it's our nature where I've talked to people before and it's probably part of it is growing up in the Shuttlesworth family because everybody, and I do mean everybody, in the Shuttlesworth family is very demonstrative, very authoritative, and that's just the culture of the Shuttlesworth family. It just is. My grandfather was like that. My grandmother's like that. All of my uncles are that way. My father is that way. All of their children are that way. It's, it's just part of the nature of who we are and who we've grown up to be. And when, when the Shuttlesworth family, when we talk, and you've probably just noticed this when I talk normally, but when we talk, we talk very demonstratively. You know, my cousin does, I do, my whole family does. You know, if you've ever listened to one of my cousin's broadcasts or listened to him preach, if you've ever listened to one of my broadcasts or me preach, then you've, you've seen that the way we speak is very demonstrative, very forceful. 
And there's people that came from families that are not like that whatsoever. People speak very softly to one another. You don't raise your voice to that level because that is, you know, are you angry? Well, I don't understand what's going on. Uh, I'm shutting down now because I don't know why you're yelling at me. Why are you yelling? And my, my cousin and I have laughed because we're like, we talk to each other like this. If anybody, like when, when, when Jonathan and I call each other on the phone and we'll be discussing an issue together, we're talking through an issue. If people heard either of us talking, they might even think we're fighting sometimes. We're not fighting. This is just how we talk. We talk, the, we talk this way. We're very demonstrative. We, 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 we speak forcefully about things we believe in. So people might hear us like, man, who's he yelling at on the phone? We're not yelling at each other. This is just how we talk. It's just how we were raised. It's what we do. It's who we are. And so we talk this way. We do broadcast this way. We preach this way. And people are like, he's so angry. I'm not angry. This is just how I talk. Um, not that I can't get angry. It's just I'm not angry right now. Like even the way I'm talking to you right now, if you talk to somebody like this, they're like, Ch- just chill out. I don't, I don't know why, you know, why are you so angry? I'm not angry. This is just how I talk. <laughs> this is me. I've actually had to. I'll tell you what's funny. I started realizing this about myself because like you, you, once you like leave your family and start interacting with a lot of other people, you're like, geez, these people are quiet. <laughs> these people are quiet. And, and it's like, they're not, not everybody's like this. What's going on? And I started to realize that like, you know, especially when I'm talking about something I really believe in, I started to realize just being introspective, I've got a furrowed brow a lot. So now you're talking demonstratively and you've got a furrowed brow and people just think you're angry. <laughs> or if you're talking with your hands, like, I, I, I don't understand why there's Christians. It's like, I'm, I'm not actually, to be honest, yeah, yells, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. Like in, in all seriousness, like, and so I started to realize, I'll tell you a funny thing. I started realizing that. And um, one of the things that I started doing, maybe you've, you guys have caught me at this, is that I will just, I just force, it's not that I'm not happy. I'm a very happy person, as you know. But like, I will even mindfully force myself to smile very often. You'll see my, you, it's not that I'm not happy and I, like, I have to force a smile. No, like I will smile because especially if I'm preaching in a church service, even if I'm, even if I'm preaching demonstratively, like you'll often see me smile. You'll see me smile at the crowd. You'll see me smile at the people that I'm mentioning to. Why? Because I started to make notice this. People are just kind of like, you you know, you're like rough when people are just like this and they're just like, (laughs) it's like, (laughs) it's like, and I realized, you know, smile a little bit. Laugh a little bit. It's all right. It's all right. I'm not, I'm not angry. I want people to understand that this is just, you know, it's, it's just how we are. So uh, I've learned that, you know, when it comes to the speak softly and be kind, I've even had to, and my wife and I discussed this recently, how there were more fights in the early part of our marriage, far more than there are now. Well, what was the deal? We were learning to... uh deal with each other. We were learning to live with each other. We were learning what it meant to be in a relationship. And so, um, you know, there were far more fights back then, far more than anything we have now. We're, we've we've learned to get in that groove with each other where we just understand the other. And, and, it's, and it's much different now than in the early years of our marriage because it takes time. Those of you that have been married understand that. 
there's that time period where you're navigating each other's uh, there's no going home at the end of the night to your own place. It's like, this is what we've got. We've got to work with it. And so you do have to make a conscious effort to um, speak softly to one another, be kind to one another, be kind to one another. You know, one of the things my wife is teaching my daughters, you know, because children, um, you know, kids, kids that are brothers and sisters and, and that are whatever, they'll fight. They'll get exasperated with each other, you know, whatever. They'll start nagging each other and getting upset at each other. But one of the things that my wife um, will say to them is they're, you're not going to be nicer to your friends than you are to your own sister. She'll say that. That's a great point. You're not going to be more gracious towards your friends than you are your own sister or brother. We're not having it in this household. You will speak kindly. You will have patience. You will be nice. You're not going to be nicer to someone you're not even related to than you are your own sister, your own brother. So you better get it in line. You know, with training them, teaching them. You're not going to be nicer to someone outside the house than you are to someone in your own house. It's not right. And so training them up. I spoke with my son this week because, you know, my son is a little Shuttlesworth and he's got a little demonstrative personality at five years old and he's about to be six and i'm telling you it's very demonstrative and uh i'm training him see that's part of what a father does as you know is that a father has to set the course for for children got to set the course mothers do the same and um fathers train you know if you've ever heard of cross gender parenting it's really an interesting concept because you can see at work you know fathers train their sons and baby their daughters, whereas mothers train their daughters and baby their sons. That's why you have the, the term mama's boy and daddy's girl is because uh, mothers train their daughters, but they baby their sons. F- fathers train their sons, but they baby their daughters. And uh, it's being a daddy's girl is good. It's nice. It's, it's, it's sweet. I don't train the daughters in the same way my wife would train them. Now, train them in scriptural things. But she's raising them up to be a woman. I'm raising my son to be a man, right? But I'm not raising my daughters to be a man. I can tell you that. So um, you start to realize that, like, they've got to be trained. they got to be taught these things or else they'll just do whatever their flesh feels like doing. And so because my son and, you know, his, his sisters will irritate him. But I just told my son, you better get your little attitude, your little temper in check. Because I'm not raising an angry son. I'm not raising a, a, a son that's got anger issues. I'm not going to raise a son that has anger issues. So we're going to get that out of you real quick, real quick. You're not going to be throwing anger fits and p- punching your bed. And, you know, I'm not dealing with that. So you better get it together real quick. And if you have any, if any, anybody watching or listening that has any doubts or wondering at all, we spank our children. We don't put them in timeout. We don't put them in a chair. We don't send them to stand in the corner. We spank our children. That's why they're obedient. That's why they're respectful. And that's why they love their mom and dad and treat us respectfully. Because we discipline correctly. We discipline correctly. And so I told my son, you know, what's what's interesting that really, it, it was hard for me because, you know, I love love my children so much. Um, oftentimes, when, I, when I'll spank my son, 
Um, and I don't know how we got into this for marriage, but I'm just flowing. But when I talk about training them up, demonstrative personality, but uh, a lot of times when I'll spank my son, I'll spank him. And then, you know, he's obviously sad about it. You know, dad, come on. <laughs> he's like one of these kids that has to have everything in his mind. He'd be like, dad, how many? How many is it going to be, dad? <laughs> and, and I'll tell him. So, but the thing is, the, the thing that I've been doing is that every time I spank him, as soon as his spanking is done, usually we go into the bedroom, you know, stand by the bed or bend over the bed, whatever it is. And as soon as his spanking is done, then I'll lay down on the bed with him and hold him and kiss him and, t- and tell him, do you understand why daddy is disciplining you? Do you understand why that, that, that this is taking place? And I don't ever do it angry. You never do it angry. I tell him there's times, he's so cute. There's times that I'm like, you know, I was like somebody saying yesterday, I can't correct my daughter because I'm, I'm laughing so hard. I'm smiling. I felt like that a lot of times. And, um, and so I'll lay with him. I'll hold him in my arms, kiss him, kiss his head, tell him he's my buddy, tell him he's dad's boy. And then I said, do you understand why I'm spanking you? Do you understand what, why that's so wrong? Do you, do you understand why, uh, do you understand why Jesus would be very upset with that? Do you understand why the Lord would not like that in your life and why daddy's correcting you? And I'll tell my kids. I was like, no, I don't. I said, but and I'll tell him flat out, you don't understand. But if I don't spank you, if I don't discipline you as my child, I said, Jesus will be unhappy with me as a daddy. You understand that? D- that Jesus won't be happy if I don't raise you right. If I don't train you up. Yes, I understand. I'll give him a spank and then I'll hold him, kiss him and tell him why. Here's why daddy did it. Do you understand? Do you understand why this can't happen anymore? Yes. You're training them. It's not just like spankings and then go back to normal. They need to understand. So uh, it's about it's about that. You've got to learn to train yourself. Well, we train our children, but do you train yourself to speak softly and be kind? Now, that's something, obviously, as I said, that my family, because they're so strong, uh, all these different things, you have to guard yourself. You have to work on it. You have to make sure that you're being mindful about it. And again, I'm telling you, Everyone, I don't care if it's a preacher or not. I don't care if it's me being a preacher, an evangelist. It doesn't matter. Every one of us is a flesh being that has to make up in our mind, I'm going to obey the word of God. And so, of course, of course, I'm working on it. Everybody's working on it. Everybody. And uh, and so, you've got to learn to speak softly and be kind. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Speak softly and be kind in your marriage. Number eight, I'll give you two more and then we're going to pray. Number eight, this will help everybody that's listening. Use wisdom with money. Use wisdom with money. And agree ahead of time. Agree ahead of time that you're going to use wisdom with money. Agree on what your financial goals are together. Because let me tell you, your marriage is going to be in turmoil, turmoil, if you're on different pages when it comes to your finances. You will be in turmoil. T-E-R-M-O-Y-L. Turmoil. <laughs> I was homeschooled. But anyway, you will be fighting all the time. 
One 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 uh, person in the relationship wants to tithe. The other one doesn't. One wants to give offerings. The other one doesn't. One wants to have a budget. The other one doesn't care. One wants to save money. The other one wants to buy stuff they want. One wants to be always go out to eat. The other one wants to save the money and do something else. Let me tell you, if you don't think this is real, it's real. And people, do you know it's one of the number one things that uh, people uh, list on their divorce papers is that financial difficulty. Financial difficulty. So we're getting divorced. I'm just going to go it on my own. So we can't get any kind of, uh, we can't get any kind of um, consensus on what we're going to do financially. You need to have an agreement. You need to have an agreement. You need to use wisdom. And, you, and, and let me tell you something. Let me read you something first from 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not envy. It's not possessive. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own selfish advantage. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. And it's right. Yanil listens to the Dave Ramsey show. It, it, it's something, you know, one of the things that really my wife and I really loved is when we got a hold of um, early on, there was a book Dave Ramsey did put out called The Total Money Makeover. It's excellent. He's put out something else, Financial Peace University. He's put out A Complete Guide to Money. They're excellent principles for couples to work through together, get out of debt, and be wise with your finances. And that that do you know how much stress that alone will take out of your marriage? That you're not always in financial pressure and stress all the time. You know how much that will take out of the marriage when you don't have to fight because your husband used the wrong card. And I told you we were paying off the blue card. Use the red card. Why are you using the blue card again? You know how much stress that takes off? When that stuff's gone because you used wisdom and you honored God through using his godly principles, it's, it's wonderful. It is worth every single cent, Maria. She said, I just finished Financial Peace University. And, and, and the total money makeover, it's a life changer. I've given that to so many young couples, I can't even tell you because they don't have goals. They don't have any financial goals. They don't, they're not moving in a, in a direction that's together, so they fight about money. My wife is so good about this, by the way, that she can she feels like I mean, she'll come home anytime she buys anything. She'll come home and be like, especially she's the, she's the worst about it. she doesn't want to buy herself stuff. She'll come home and she's like, I got a shirt for myself today. I was like, yeah, good, great. Yeah, I got it. I, I got a deal though. I got it. I got a deal. It's it, listen, it was this much and I got it for this much. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care if you paid full price for it. I want you to have it. I want you to be blessed. You know, you don't, ever, you don't have to tell me you got a deal when you bought yourself something, but she's so much that way that she's responsible. She has a plan. She wants to, you know, that's a good thing. That's a great trait in a in a spouse. But I, I get, I laugh every time she says, I know. She'll come in there and be like, I know. You don't care that it's, I got a deal, but I got a great deal. And it feels good to get a great deal. But still, I'll tell you, I don't care. I don't care if you paid full price for it. I want you to have it. I want you to be blessed. You know, <laughs> but but it's funny, but at the same time, I'm giving God thanks and praise that she's not just out spending all the money and doesn't care at all about a budget or doesn't care at all about responsibility and doesn't care at all about using wisdom. Thank God for somebody that's like that. Thank God. <clears throat> Thank God. And so you have to use wisdom with money. If not, you're always going to be, you're always going to be in turmoil in a marriage if the alignment of goals about finances are not on the same page. You have to get on the same page. And listen, uh, it does matter because 
people come from different families. You might you might have come from a spendthrift family. The other person comes from like a saving frugal family. You come together, didn't talk about those things before marriage, and now it's actually practically happening. You're like, hold on a second. Pull the reins. What is going on? What is going on? When you're literally like trying to pay off credit card debt and save for your future and your husband comes home with an 80-inch flat screen. It's like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> We're, well, that's not what we're doing right now. Oh, I know, but it was a great deal. They had it on sale. We're never going to get a deal like this, and we needed a flat screen. It's like, there's going to be fighting. There's going to be yelling. You're going to have to go back to the previous point to speak softly and be kind. Because <laughs> it's it's, people are going to have problems if you're not aligned. Number nine. And this is huge. This could probably have been number one. Make... God's definition of love, your daily goal. That's number nine, but it probably could have been number one. Make God's definition of love your daily goal. Let me read to you once again, 1 Corinthians 13, verses four through seven. Love, actually, let me read it over here because I like this this version of it better, the, the ESV. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Listen, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. It's patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Get that in your spirit. That's God's definition of love and what it is. It's God's definition of love. Make God's definition of love your daily goal. If you got to make a checklist for a while and walk around with it, we're all working on it. Every single one of us are working through our flesh. Every one of us, including myself, everybody. We're all working through our flesh. We're all crucifying those carnal desires to have want my way or the highway. You know, all of that, we're crucifying it. Make God's definition of love your daily goal. Do it and watch how everything changes. You make that the foundation of your marriage, everything begins to change. You say, my wife never submits to me. Imagine how easy it'll be for her to submit to you when you love her like Christ loved the church giving yourself for her. Amen. Amen. I want to pray for those. I know there's people that need miracles in their relationships. They're believing for changes in their relationships. I want to take time today to pray for number one, marriages, marriage relationships. Number two, people that are uh, getting ready to be married. Number three, people that are looking for a husband or wife. I want to pray for all three of those today. Father, in Jesus name, We thank you that your word declares that he that finds a wife finds a good thing. We thank you, Lord, that marriage, you created it for our benefit. You created it to bless us. And so, Lord, I ask you now for those that are battling in their marriage, they're battling in their relationships. Things are going awry. Things are going wrong. I pray in Jesus' name that you would get a hold of each heart. Make the changes necessary. Let your word come in. And cut out what does not belong and add to us what needs to be there. 
I pray in Jesus' name you bring healing to these marriages, restoration, where there's hurt, where there's distrust, where there's been betrayal. I pray that you'd bring forgiveness, healing, restoration in Jesus' name. Lord, for those that are getting ready to get married, I pray you give them wisdom, wisdom beyond their years to make these decisions ahead of time, to set these goals ahead of time. And Lord, for those that are believing for a husband or a wife, I pray that this would be the year that you would open up the doors and bless them for what they've been asking you for, the exact thing they've been asking you for. Put the very best in their life. We thank you for that. We give you praise for what you're doing for your people. And I pray, Lord, that the children in these marriages and homes will be raised up in strength and in power and in the anointing, experiencing and seeing what love truly is. We thank you and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you believe it, you receive it. Throw some fire up in the comments section. Let me know that you're standing with me. And in these final moments of the broadcast, I'm challenging you to sow a seed today. And you know how to do it. On the screen is the website, miracleword.com. I know God's speaking to people. You're believing, there's people this year believing to get out of debt. You're believing to be in that place where you're totally pressure free, like I was talking about. One of the things that I want to encourage you with is this. Early part of our marriage, my wife and I were in uh, sizable credit card debt. And uh, I myself had not used wisdom early in my life. And we were believing to get out of credit card debt as quickly as possible. And you know what? We made a decision. We said we are going to get out of debt, but we are never going to stop tithing and we are never going to stop giving during this entire period. And we said, we're not going to pause our offerings. We're not going to pause our tithing to, to get out of debt. We're going to honor God first. And we continued to tithe. And when the Lord spoke to us to give largely, we gave largely. And I'll tell you, we were out of that debt in less than two years, completely debt-free, uh, and never stopped tithing. And we never, there'd be times where we'd have special offerings at the church or special guest speakers, and we would sow, and I mean, we would sow largely so largely. And um, as we did that, let me tell you, God just continued to bless us. And that debt was eliminated, all of that credit card debt in less than two years. God did that. God did that supernaturally. And as we've always kept him first, he has continued to skyrocket us every single year because of our obedience and our faithfulness. And he'll do the same for you. And so I want those of you that are believing for that, even financial miracles in 2022, do what the Holy Spirit's leading you to do today and sow that seed. For those of you that are standing with us in the month of March, there are some things we want to bless you with. For those that are partnering at $85 or more this month, we're going to send you Brother Hagin's book, I Believe in Visions. For those that are standing at $250 or more in the month of March, we're going to send you as well The Miracle of the Scarlet Thread by Dr. Richard Booker, the expanded edition. And then for those that are sowing $1,000 or more, we're going to send you with those two books, the Net Study Bible with 60,000 translators' notes for your Bible study. And these are awesome. If you'd like to claim any of these after you've sown, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer and you can get yours there. And don't forget, listen, we've only got days left to register for Bible Study Made Simple. The registration ends on the 10th of April and we're going hard together. And it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful course for you to understand what you've never understood about the scripture. 
It's going to be awesome. So jump into bible.miracleword.com, check it out and register today. It's going to be really, really great. Cannot wait to get started with this. Thank you to everybody that's sowing seed today. I love you so, so very much. Don't forget Sunday, we start in Imlay City, Michigan, uh, outside of Detroit, and we're going to be there through Wednesday night. All the details at miracleword.com. Check it out. Come be a part. If not, jump online and be a part of the uh, services online, all platforms. Stephen said, what percentage is sowing largely? Um, uh, that's really on a person-by-person basis, but uh, we know it's more than 10% because until you've reached the 10%, you've not sown anything. You're just tithing. Um, but one of the things that we set as a kind of a goal, Stephen, is if you've heard me say that phrase, kingdom slice, um, our goal is to make sure that the largest amount of money that goes out of our home on a yearly basis is going into the kingdom. At the end of the year, when I look at the totals, if I broke it into a pie chart, I want my giving to be more than the mortgage was, more than the car payment was, more than vacations were, more than insurance was. I want it to be the biggest percentage going out of my house every single year. Now, I know not everybody's there yet, but you can go there. You can get there. God will bless you. He gives seed to the sower. He gives seed to the sower. I love you guys. Um, I was wondering, you know, if I have so many things in the iPad that are in the queue, but just just uh, asking you as a as a, a me just wondering, how many of you, if, if we put this into some sort of book form in the future, would you be interested in that content? If we went through these principles but wrote them out, Carolyn and I, in a book form, how many of you would be interested in that? Throw a hand in the comments if that's you. I have a bunch of things that I have to write in the queue, if you will, um, notes ready to go. It's really just about sitting down and, and putting them into book form. But um, there's people that are interested. I, I can see it already. But we have we have some things already lined up. And uh, I'm just kind of praying about what's next. What's next for 2022. But um, okay. I was just wondering if there are people that would be interested in that. I love you guys. I will see you very soon. Once again, don't forget, there's no revival service tonight, so do not be by the computer at 7 o'clock. And if you show up at the church at 7, you'll be having a prayer meeting by yourself, which may not be a, a bad thing. But I love you, and I'll talk to you again very soon. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.